We've been working through the book of Ezra when I've been up here over the last couple months. Um, And so today we go into part four, which is going to be chapter five. The hand of our God was upon us. A little bit of um, catch up for you guys, review. We talked about um, the nation of Judah had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. um, And they were going back to Jerusalem. And God had stirred the heart of King Cyrus. He stirred the heart of different leaders. A lot of people at the same time for this to happen. And so the Jewish people are going back, about 50,000 initially back, to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. And they each have a part to play. Every person has a part to play, same as us today. Wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, God has a part for each of us to play. God stirs our hearts for things. He has plans and he wants to stir hearts. And he can stir our hearts when our hearts are humble and when they're seeking him to do great things for the glory of God, for his kingdom. And so these people, they were embracing their location. They were exemplifying leadership. They were embarking despite fear. There was a lot of threats. They were embarking anyway. They were, this was important, they were esteeming holiness. There was other parties that said, hey, we'll partner with you. But they didn't have the same value system. They didn't worship the same God. And it would have undermined everything that they were set out to do. And they recognized that. And they recognized, hey, the reason we went into captivity in the first place is we got off track. And we forsook God. And we started just living it up and living as the world did and, um, and relishing sin and, and so forth. So they said, no, no, no. We want to do this. We want to build the right way. And they endured the naysayers and um, so forth. And then finally, the last time um, we spoke, we talked about Ezra 4. And they got going. God stirred their heart. They're being faithful. And what happens? They just face opposition like crazy. And there was five types of opposition in chapter 4. It just outlines it. Here's the opposition. One, two, three, four, five. First, it's the false flags, people kind of trying to act like friends and, and get in because they want to undermine it. Um, demoralization warfare, they're just piling it on. The enemies are um, demoralizing and, and um, uh, discouraging every move at every time and questioning everything. And then disinformation, they're sending false information to the king. At that time, it's, it's Azuerus, it's Artaxerxes, um, these different kings that are in uh, Persia at the time. And, and so disinformation, and then the king, Artaxerxes at the time, he writes a decree saying that they have to stop the building of the temple. And they're still working until there's physical enforcement. They come with arms, and they're forced to stop building. And that's where we left off last week. And I'm wondering um, if you feel like that at all. And and I'm going to push on that a little bit after we read this passage. Number one in your notes today, if you're tracking with us, you should have one of these. If you're online, you can download that. Help to track. Ezra 4, we'll pick it up, review 4, verse 23 through 24. Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work on the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Number one in your notes, when obeying God doesn't seem to work. And so I'd venture to suspect that uh, the people were quite discouraged and and quite confused, honestly, by this. The question is probably, what now? 
What now? We thought God had a plan. We thought God had stirred our hearts. We obeyed God. We even persevered through all of this opposition, and things still didn't turn out. Still didn't work. And when that happens, we feel hurt and confused, and and we get mad at God. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. We've resigned to saying, hey, I'm just going to take care of myself now. I'm just going to do, I know what I want to do and how I'm just going to do, I'm just going to take care of myself. I'm going to do what I know to be best. Because it's too hard and it's too much of a letdown to trust God and to try to understand his methods and his timing and his reasons for why things do or don't happen. That is how the Jews felt at this time. After overcoming four different types of opposition, it was just too much, it was too long. And the heart can become cynical. That word came up a few times at our men's study on uh, Monday night. We're, we're beginning the book of James, and it talks about when you encounter various trials, count it all joy, my brethren, because it produces patience and steadfastness. And we talked about our hearts can become cynical sometimes when we endure hard times. Heart can grow cold. Hope deferred makes the heart grow cold. Another series on Wednesday nights, we really seem to be on this topic, the testing of your faith, a brand new topic that's uh, just started this last Wednesday. I encourage you to attend that. Anyway, when obeying God doesn't seem to work, we become confused and discouraged. We question God's plan. We doubt God's power. At least we're prone to do so. I don't know if you can relate to that this morning. And if you can, you're in good company. That's, I mean, that, what I'm talking about right now is the Bible. Is the Bible. It is Job and Joseph and Moses and David and Daniel. I mean, that's, that's it, right? They, they trust God. They persevere through difficulties and opposition. And their reward is greater trials and more hardship. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. I trusted God, I persevered, I obeyed, I endured, and what do I get? More trials and more hardship. Wow. I want to tell you, number two in your notes, God is still involved. God is still involved. Ezra 5.1, next verse. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. It's good that they included that last four words, who was over them. You know, we, if you've been in a Christian for some time, you might be familiar with the verse that God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our, his, our thoughts, and so forth. And we want to respond, well, they should be. Doggone it. They should be. He needs to get with the program. God's timing, his thoughts, his strategy, he sees a much bigger picture than we do. We have narrow vision, tunnel vision. We're constrained by our feelings, our time, our awareness. Question this morning, is it okay with you if God does things differently than you expect? Is it okay with you or not if God does things differently than how you want him to and when you want him to? Are you okay with that? She's not. (laughs) 
Mary and Martha, man, they, I bet they became cynical. You know, they, they called for Jesus to come to heal their brother who was sick, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, and he doesn't come. Jesus doesn't come. He's not far away. He doesn't come. He doesn't, he's healing everybody all over the place. He won't come heal his friend. Mary and Martha are there. In John eleven twenty one. 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. John eleven thirty two. 32, then Mary, when she came, she said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I bet they were angry at Jesus. You think? I bet they were mad. Angry. Four days too late. Yet Jesus did care. He wasn't oblivious to the situation. He wasn't powerless to intervene. If you read the account, he, he's not without compassion. He actually wept there at the gravesite. I don't think for himself, but probably because he knew the hurt and the confusion that Mary and Martha and others felt. Do we think God does not keep records that he does not know how to administer justice or reward or punishment? Hebrews 11 it's known as the Hall of Faith. We read about men and women of faith who throughout the centuries trusted God. Many of them saw God come through in, with miraculous, um, in miraculous ways. And yet, when we, the reader comes down to verse 35, it reads like this. Others were tortured. Men and women of faith, they're tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains of imprisonment. And they were stoned, and they were sawn in two, and tempted, and they were slain with the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They will be compensated. They will be made perfect. But it wasn't on <clears throat> this side of the equation. My friend, do not judge God before his final judgments. Don't prejudge God. There's coming a day when things that don't make sense on earth will make sense, complete sense in eternity. And be assured, just as God was over Israel, he is over you, and he's over me this morning. The afterlife, that's the great equalizer. That's the other side of the, the equal sign. Earth is not, say, earth is not heaven. Earth is not hell. Some people think it is. It's, it's not. Earth is earth. We get confused sometimes. <clears throat> so David, King David, man, he had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and he had a lot of both of them. And the guy who's on the lowest of lows, he writes this, Psalm 121, 3 through 8, about 1020 BC. Speaking of God, he says, he will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you at your, as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forevermore. David had a lot of hard times. What do you mean he watches over me and he won't let me be harmed? In the grand scheme of things, and on the other side of the equal sign, this 
This passage is dead on. It's true. It's true. Promises from God, Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. John 16, 33, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So awesome. So God's still involved. That's number two. God's still involved. God is with me in the good times. He is with me in the difficult times. Yes, he is. At chapel and school, we say that all the time, every Tuesday morning almost. We say, God is with us in the good times, and he's with us in the bad times. He doesn't go anywhere. He's with us. He's over us. So that's cool. He comforts us. He knows how we feel. Um, He's not harsh. Um, You know, but at the same time, you know, he he doesn't enable. He doesn't um, coddle. He doesn't let us waste the rest of our lives in self-pity. He doesn't do that either. He's not a resigning God. He's a redeeming God. Aren't you glad about that? He is a redeeming God. Woo, baby. That sounds like Pastor Bob. (laughs) Been around him too long. Good grief. God is still involved. Ezra 5.1, then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied. We read this already, but look at this now. Prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah. and Jer- What did they prophesy to him? What did they say to him? They said God was still with him. He's over him, right? That was good. That was important. They needed to hear that. They needed to know that. But they prophesied something to him. What did they prophesy to him? We find it by flipping the pages of our Bible over to the book of Haggai. And in Haggai 1... Verses 1 through 5, this is what we read. It says, in the second year of King Darius, does that ring a bell? Because they stopped the temple work until the second year of King, well, here it is, the second year of King Darius. I think what I've I've seen is that this is about 17 years later, after they, they stopped building on the temple, about 17 years later. In the second year of King Darius, the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Number three, God's word challenges our perspectives and priorities. It does. We have our mind set on what we want to do and where we want to go and how things are going to be done and what's important and what's not. And then God says, taps us on the shoulder and he, he says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And his word challenges our perspectives and our priorities. You see, these people, and Haggai knew it, and he was speaking on behalf of God, this people, this generation of Zerubbabel and Joshua, they were called to greatness. They were called to do something specific that no other generation was going to do, and that was to build the second temple. They were called, God had a noble call on their lives to do something great, and they were missing it. They were missing it. They were missing their life purpose. That stinks. 
go through life and you miss your life purpose. They were rejecting the nobility that God had placed upon them. They were forfeiting the great reward that God wanted to bestow upon them. He's an awesome father. He's an awesome God. And he has awesome plans and important things and nobility written all over us and, and missions for us to accomplish and rewards for us to receive. And the people are like, eh, it's not time. It's not time. I've got to install a new counter, countertop. Yeah. So Haggai is challenging him. He continues the very next verse, Haggai 1, uh, verse 6. He says, you've sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. He's, talking, he's saying, hey, guys, guys, recognize what reality is right now. I mean, you got some paneled houses, but you're living paycheck to paycheck. And things aren't, things aren't great for you, and you're prioritizing the wrong things. You're chasing after the wind. You're living for the material, the temporal, instead of the eternal, and you're missing the greatness that God has for your life. Jesus says that to us. Hey, guys, saying that to them. Jesus says it to us, but he says it like this. He says in Matthew 6, 31 through 30, don't worry about these things, saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything. God knows what we need and when we need it. He's able to supply that. If, if there's something that we have to have and he wants us to have it, he's going to get it to us. We're going to be, that doesn't mean that we live irresponsibly. It doesn't mean we don't pay our bills. It doesn't mean that we don't save for the future. But if that's our number one priority, our priorities need to change. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In fact, Jesus takes it a step further in Luke 9. He's talking, he says to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and, in the holy, and of the holy angels." You and I have a chance of a lifetime, no pun intended. We can cling to our worthless lives or we can commit our lives into his keeping. We can live for God. We can live forever. And yet it's equally true that many will choose to reject the love and mercies of God. They'll cling to themselves. And of such, Jesus will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Our faith isn't just lip service, right? There's, there's something attached to that faith. It's, it's lived out one day at a time. We're followers of Jesus. And so we ask different questions. We ask different questions. Instead of saying, what will make me safe and popular and rich and comfortable and happy? Instead of those being our primary questions, those are secondary. We might still ask some of those questions, but they're secondary. The primary question is, God, what will please you? What will honor you? What will help others know you and experience your kingdom? That's why we're here. And that's where the reward's at. 
this is cool. Um, so they say the time has not yet come, the time to build the Lord's house. You know, I understand because they had so much opposition and they tried and they were shut down. I mean, the door was closed in their face. And so they had to stop. They stopped, you know, and they're doing other things and, and, and so forth. And they're hurt and they're confused. And, and um, but, you know, 17 years go by and, and then all of a sudden God stirs the heart of Haggai and Zechariah to, to breathe encouragement to the people and to challenge them, and to remind them God is with them, you know, just because things didn't look how you thought they would, and they didn't go how you expected that they would go, God's still working. God's still working. And, and they, they're, they're quick to say, oh, the time hasn't come, the time hasn't come, and, and Haggai challenges that. And when I thought of that, I, I actually, in my personal study over the last two weeks, I came across... It just, I happen to be reading in, in kind of different parts of the Bible, a little bit here, a little there, a little. And I, I saw, oh, wow, this is awesome. First I read in Genesis 8.22, this is Noah. He gets off the ark, and um, <clears throat> the world's wiped out, except for Noah, his family. And, and they're to repopulate the earth, and the animals get off the ark, and the vegetation starts growing again. And, um, and God says this to Noah. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest... Cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. While the earth remains, it's not going to remain forever, but while it remains, these things are going to be. And then another spot I was reading was, was Ecclesiastes 11. And um, Solomon, who wrote this book, he writes this. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow. We, we have seed time and harvest. But he who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. I got to pause there. That is ridiculous. That bones grow inside of a stomach. There's nothing there. And then all of a sudden bones start growing in there. Okay. I think that's... <laughs> so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Verse 6, in the morning, in the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And so just with that seed time and harvesting again, I mean, he's, he's being very practical here, talking physical, you know, planting and harvesting and, and, and not just sleeping all day and wasting every day. But, um, but there's some spiritual implications, especially when we get to Galatians 6, 8 through 10. Look at this. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith." Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome to prioritize the things of God and let God's word do that in us. And as we read the Bible, to let it rearrange our thoughts and desires. We meditate on his word and it changes us. It begins to change us inside, from the inside out. So Haggai, <coughs> Zechariah, they offer a little bit of correction 
little bit of correction there to um, the people of, of Judah at the time. They encourage him. They also say, hey, it's time to do something. The people of Judah, they could have blown him off. They could have said, hey, guy and Zechariah, get off your pulpit. Go talk to someone else. We're not interested. Instead, they humbled themselves. They responded. They embraced the correction, the call. <clears throat> a lot of verses in the Bible about correction, a lot of them that talk about um, when and how we should correct our children. And uh, there's a lot of verses up there right now. I, um, there's a Bears-Packer game tonight. Um, the only reason I bring it up is the Bears have a new coach, this guy here. And I've enjoyed, so far, it's only one weekend of the season, so far I've enjoyed his philosophies and, and kind of his schemes. And he talked about correcting players. And he said, correction's not ragging on them and it's not trying to shame them. Says we want to help our players improve. We're all on the same team. Correction is for is for improvement. And and will the players so now will the players be teachable? That's another that's another part of the equation. But God certainly wants to correct us for our good, for His glory, and will we be teachable? Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. All Scripture is God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to be thoroughly equipped. I want to be ready for whatever God has for me. We want to be ready for whatever God has for us. And we don't want to miss it. And so we say, yes, God, correct us. Please correct us. Don't let me go uncorrected. God, if I'm wasting time or going down the wrong road, please correct me. Please correct. I want you to correct me, Lord, because I don't want to miss it, and I don't want to waste it. Number four, God gives us renewed passion to restart the rebuilding process. Ezra 5, verse 2, So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, they rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with him, helping them. That was a pretty effective pep talk, I think, that, that Haggai gave him. Good halftime talk, because here they go. Um, it says, and, and actually, this will be cool. The prophets even jumped in there, right? And started helping out. Look at Haggai's um, account of that. Haggai talks about that too. He says, then Zerubbabel, in verse 12, he says, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, high priest, remnant, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them and the people feared the presence of the Lord. It means they prioritized it and they revered it. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke to the Lord's, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. To hear God say that about you and I, I am with you. That fills you with confidence. All right, world, let's go. <clears throat> I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He'd done that a long time ago, like 18 years prior. Now he stirs his heart again. The son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua. He stirs his spirit, the son of Jehoshaphat, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. He's stirring a lot of hearts at the same time for the same common goal. And they came together, they worked on the house of the Lord, the God, 
on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Number four, God gives us renewed passion to restart the rebuilding process. Subpoint: God wants to equip and empower us to live for him. Here's what it comes down to today. I believe what God has for us today is this. Has God stirred your heart in the past, friend? Have you come upon difficult times? Have you begun to question God's plan? Or worse, has your heart become kind of hard or cynical? God is still involved and he's over you. And maybe it's a timing thing or there are things that are beyond our comprehension. Whatever may be, God is over you. He cares. His desire is to fill us with his spirit anew this morning. We want to respond to him. Let me encourage you to respond to God this morning. Let his healing come in. Let his strength come in. Let some optimism come back into your mind and your thoughts and some confidence back into your bones. God is not finished with you. God has a plan. And God is faithful. and He's powerful. God, I pray for us this morning that you would give us a renewed passion to restart whatever rebuilding projects you have for us individually, Lord. Whatever areas of life that is, Lord, with relationships, Lord, in work, Lord, with our children, Lord. You give us a renewed passion to restart, Lord, ministry, work, to do our part, Lord, with your help, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're trustworthy, Lord. We thank you that you're available and you're present. You're not distant. We thank you for your timing, Lord, which makes perfect sense to you. It's a little outside of our grasp sometimes. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that it's there for us, Lord, to be trained by, and shaped by, and encouraged by, and challenged by, Lord. Lord, we want to submit to you, Lord, anew this morning too, Lord. We want to kind of let down our guard and, and our, um, our uh, stiff arm of you and let you take the reins, Lord, and um, really surrender, Lord, to your, your ways. Put your health in us, Lord. Put your spirit in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.